Uh, I want to welcome you this morning. My name is Brian White, and I am so glad you're here. And like Trevor said, uh, hello to everyone online as well. I just spoke with a couple guys who were here for an earlier uh, breakfast, or meeting, and then they're going home to watch um, online worship with their family. And um, just such an interesting time we're in, huh? Uh, last week, we began this series called uh, Head, Heart, and Hands, and something that comes from John Wesley, who was an Oxford professor and an Anglican priest back in the 1700s, and Wesley started a movement in England, carried over in the American colonies, and then it just kind of went west with the frontier, westward movement, and, and it was a spiritual awakening, and the base of which was this call, this call to worship God with our head, our heart and our hands. Pastor Trevor talked about worshiping God with our hearts last week when we started out, and apparently I got the short stick, so I get head this week. Just kidding, just kidding, kidding. And he did a phenomenal job. Uh, But what does it mean to worship God with our heads? You know, part of this means we need to spend time thinking about our faith, thinking about our relationship with God. You know, spiritually, you know, so many people I've found, they, they never really mature past whatever they learned back in first and second grade in Sunday school. And, uh, you know, like the two-step gospel, you know, th- their faith is kind of like this two-step gospel, and it goes like this. I receive forgiveness when I accept Christ in my heart, and then I receive the gift of eternal life. And that's as far as a lot of Christians get, frankly. You know, step one, invite Jesus into my heart so I can, step two, experience life after death. But what about life before death? You know, a two-part gospel narrative, it skips a whole lot of Jesus' teaching, pretty much all of it. And this two-part gospel scenario, it, it really doesn't matter if my behavior stays the same before and after I become Christian. But then the problem is, how come Jesus talked about behavior so much? Why did Jesus talk about love so much? I mean, if nothing needs to change in the heart of a Christian, why does Jesus call us to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves? And why does Paul tell us we're supposed to strive for perfection? So at the heart of Wesley's work was this very highly organized method of spiritual formation. And and it's a discipline, but I want us to see it as a concrete path to worship God with our head, our heart, and our hands. So Wesley lived uh, about 100 years after Martin Luther, after John Calvin-ish, and and he basically, he lived, like I said, almost all of the 1700s. He lived a very, very long life, and his father was a priest, and he was frankly not a a great leader. He was not a great priest, even spent some time in debtor's prison. But his mother was very different. Uh, His mother was amazing. They had 19 children. Yeah. Now, nine of them survived, but, but Susanna, she spent an hour per child per week just discussing one-on-one spiritual formation with every single kid. So Wesley took what Luther and Calvin built 
and, and other great theologians. And, and he built upon that. And he had this vision. And this vision was transformation of individual disciples who would come together as a church to transform the world. So Luther's theology is often called a theology of the cross, obviously. Theology of the cross and all stems from what God did for us through Christ on the cross. John Calvin's theology is often be called a theology of the sovereignty of God. And what does that mean? Well, it means the main focus is the supreme, sovereign power of God. And, and God is the supreme authority and all things are under His control. And those are both very, very, very true. Wesley's theology is often called a theology of grace. And I really believe we need a message of grace right now. Through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we're offered salvation. That's a gift. That's a gift God gives to us, and it's, it's just grace. When we accept this offer of grace, we're forgiven and we're set free from our bondage to sin and our bondage to death. And again, that's something that God does for us, but the story isn't over there. When we accept God's offer of salvation through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we become a disciple and we start a journey. And that's a journey of the Holy Spirit actually working in us. As we mature as disciples, see, God, God changes our hearts. God changes our minds to look more like the heart and mind of Jesus. And the goal is what Paul calls sanctification. And that's everything that we do stems from perfect love of God and love of neighbor. And that's what Wesley called holiness of heart and life. I just love that term. So sanctification is a journey. It's a lifelong process of loving God with our whole heart, mind, soul, strength, and our neighbors as ourselves. And, and, and it happens as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and in our minds. And those parts of our hearts and those parts of our minds that, that, and our life that hold us back from loving fully, they break down. And we continually reflect on our life. One by one, we turn those areas that are barriers to loving God and loving neighbor. We, we, we turn those over to God. So once we accept God's gift for us on the cross, that journey of following Christ begins. And, and that's God working in us. You've got to get that. And it's how the Holy Spirit changes our hearts from all of the unhealthy parts that just kind of start falling away, like dead leaves right now in this season that just kind of float off. And our lives become a true thanksgiving for what God has done for us and God is doing in us. This is the real change that the Holy Spirit does in our hearts. And it's a critical, critical, critical part of salvation lined out in the Scriptures. And this is where this comes from. And like I said, the goal is perfect love, really loving God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and really loving our neighbors as ourselves, right? So our lives become a, a, a thanksgiving for all that God has done for us and in us. I, I, the dead things should fall away. 
And we should become more and more like Christ in our actions. And we should grow in our capacity to love. Last series, we talked about bearing fruit. We should be growing the fruit of the Spirit. Like, and we looked at this last series, but you know, Paul talked about from uh, Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things, we start bearing these things. You know, if somebody's been a Christian for years and years and years and, and that stuff's not happening, something's wrong. I want to read an excerpt from one of Wesley's sermons, and it was called The Almost Christian. Wesley said, almost Christians are not unjust. They don't steal from their neighbors. They don't oppress the poor. He said, almost Christians feed the hungry if they have food to spare. Almost Christians, they give to anyone that's in need as long as they're not in need themselves. Almost Christians, he says, they obey the Ten Commandments and they attend worship regularly. And almost Christians have daily prayers in their homes and they set aside special time for devotion and meditation on things of God. Almost Christian, he says, is, is sincere. The almost Christian, it, it, there's a real desire to serve God there. And a very hearty desire, he said, to do God's will, the almost Christian. And he said he understood this because he said he had been an almost Christian for years. Even though he was an ordained pastor, even though he was a theology professor at Oxford. But then he described what he called the altogether Christian. He said that's one who loves God with their whole heart, their whole soul, their mind, their strength. And they love their neighbor as themselves. He said, the altogether Christian has a faith that works by love, born out of a sure trust and confidence that Christ died for me and saved me from the law of sin and death. He said, this faith purifies the heart by the power of God who dwells therein. He said, it fills the heart with love stronger than death, a love both to God and to all mankind. And he ended the sermon saying, whoever has received this love rejoices in spending their whole life for others. Whoever has this faith which works by love is not almost only but altogether a Christian. That's the goal. And he came up with a strategy to actually have this occur, and it worked, and the world changed. And he said his premise was, you know, Christ calls us to be his disciple, which means a follower, right? means a learner. That's what a disciple is. And he gathers disciples into a community, and that's the church, to teach us how to love. And then he sends us out to serve the present age, he said, by sharing that love with others. And we do this because our hearts are just filled with gratitude. There again, for, for thanksgiving for what God has done for us through Christ and in us through the Holy Spirit. So over Wesley's long lifetime, his strategy became a movement. Each person, each disciple was, had the light of Christ shining in and through their lives. 
And as they lived their life, the world really did change. It's beginning in England, moving to the colonies in America, they cleaned up street drunks, they taught them job skills, they taught spinster women how to read and write, and they built schools, and they built orphanages, and they built hospitals. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. They really changed the world. And I think this strategy is just as relevant today, and it's just as needed today as it was several hundred years back. You know, our call to follow Jesus, that's a gift. It's grace, salvation. It's a gift. A gift of grace. The only proper response is a life lived in gratitude for that gift. Gratitude. We've kind of forgotten gratitude. To live lives of gratitude through the power of the Spirit and and, and our hearts and our lives change because the call is not simply to believe like in that first two-step gospel. Our call is to follow. You know, Jesus doesn't call believers. He calls disciples. He calls followers. That's what a disciple is, a a follower. We've talked about this so many times. This means action. When you follow someone, you go where they go. You do what they do. You don't just believe in them. Disciples follow Jesus. They go where he goes. They do what he does. So Wesley searched the scriptures, and he described a way of understanding salvation. It comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. I want to kind of walk through it slow. Paul starts out saying, on our own, we're dead. On our own. He writes, you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the rule of the power of the air. The Spirit is now a work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them. Passions of flesh, following desires of flesh and senses, and we were, by nature, children of wrath, like everyone else. On our own, we're dead. But we received new life through Christ. But God, Paul writes, who is rich in mercy, out of great love with which he loved us even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Raised us up with him. Seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He's saying there's a reason, there is a purpose for your life. And he ends by saying, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It's a gift from God. Not the result of works so that one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. To be our way of life. Paul's saying, on our own we're dead. 
but God offers us life because of Jesus' death on the cross. And we can't earn it, and we don't deserve it, and we're offered this gift. It's free, unmerited forgiveness. Grace. And all you have to do is respond with faith. You have to say yes to respond to that gift of grace. And how do you do this? You do it by repenting, repentance. And that's not what I think a lot of us think when we think of repenting. It, the term in Hebrew is shuv, and it's simply the verb, to turn. I walk where I'm going, and then I shuv, I turn. It's a life turn. We turn from where we're going, we turn toward God. Simple as that. And it happens when we realize who we are in comparison to what God has created us to be. And we see this, and we want to be this, and we want to change, but we can't do it on our own. And when we do turn to God and we repent, we're justified by grace through our faith, Paul says. What does that mean? It means we're forgiven. God forgives us for the things we've done. We can start anew. We're accepted. We're pardoned by God because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. On the cross, Jesus bore our shame. On the cross, Jesus suffered and died our death so that we could be set free. We're justified. It means we're made right. It's just not a cool show on TV. We're made right by faith in God's grace. Justification by grace through our faith. We start our journey with Christ. And when we repent, that means we turn to Him. But the journey of sanctification just begins at that point. And that's this journey of taking stock of our sin and turning it to God, turning back to Christ over and over and over and over until Christ reigns in every aspect of our lives. That's holiness of heart and life. And it's so important to understand. Justification is what God does for us. We're accepted, we're pardoned. But the amazing, amazing thing about God's grace is that's just the beginning. Justification is new birth, but new birth enters a new life, right? So once we've accepted that forgiveness, our hearts are like this tree with a whole bunch of dead leaves on it, and they're still hanging on. We're alive, but new leaves need to grow, and the old one they need to fall away. That's sanctification. This is what God does in us. Real change happens. As we mature, the dead stuff starts to fall, and the fruits of the Spirit start to show more and more and more. And we really do grow in our capacity to love God, and we really do grow in our capacity to love our neighbors. This is sanctification. It's a journey of experiencing real change in our hearts. 
And the Holy Spirit changes us, and we become more and more and more like Christ. And our hearts and our minds and our actions, they all become more and more like the heart and the mind and the actions of Jesus. And we grow in grace, our capacity to offer grace. We grow and we mature. This is the Holy Spirit's work. So through the New Testament, people experience Jesus, and He gives them new life. And then what does He say? He says, go and sin no more. When we accept Christ's offer of salvation, He says the same thing to us. He expects us to change, to grow in love of God, in love of neighbor. This is the goal. So one of the major differences between the almost Christian and the altogether Christian is just this very thing. Now, how do you do this? How does it happen? Well, it's all part of spiritual formation. We're called to prayerfully reflect every aspect of our lives daily and then offer those places that we're falling short to God. We repent. We continually turn from where we're going toward God is the point. Return to Christ over and over and over and over and over and over until every part of our lives return to God. At the heart of spiritual formation, Wesley talked about the means of grace. And these are ways that God normally just shows up. You know, you can pretty much bank on it. And they're things like reading and studying scriptures, things like prayer, things like public worship, things like fasting, things like Christian fellowship, he called it, which is, he had a very, very definite, very, very methodical type of small group activity. And then the Lord's Supper. So if you want to be an altogether Christian, the first thing you got to do is just open up your Bible, right? I mean, you study it. You read it alone. You read it with other people. God speaks to us through the Bible. You'll get a vision of what God wants to do in your life through the Scriptures. The Bible is the basic message of God's grace, and it's our primary guide for living a holy life. Just like reading and studying the Bible, you're not going to become an altogether Christian without intentional time in prayer. It's not going to happen. Prayer is spending time connecting with God, listening to God, inviting God into those dark spaces in our lives that need to change. If you never spend time with your friends, if you never speak with your friends or your spouse, you know, your relationships are just going to kind of wither and die, right? Same with God. If you're talking about a relationship, How's that going to happen? How's that going to deepen without intentional time connecting and listening? Public worship, holy communion, other means of grace, celebrating God's presence in your life, praising God for what He has done and listening to how He's been at work in other people's lives. I think that's so critical. We had an amazing prayer gathering Wednesday night, and uh, several people shared, inspired me. During wo- worship, we open ourselves up for God's grace. It, worship renews us. Worship, it, it strengthens us. And God speaks to us through worship. 
Holy communion is time that we turn back to God there again, and we receive His grace physically, this reminder of what God has done for us in Christ. You know, fasting is not just about losing weight. It's a discipline, and it enhances our lives, and it enriches our lives as we set aside times of self-denial. A part of our life is the point, so that we remember God's presence in every aspect of our lives. It's very similar to tithing. God works through these things, through these times, and Christian fellowship is huge in Wesleyan spirituality. You can't be a follower of Jesus and be in isolation. It's just not going to work. Jesus, He, he calls us to surround ourselves because He surrounded Himself with friends, and, and they shared life together, Right? And we have all kinds of groups at this church to do that. You know, we have small groups, we have all of our life groups, the men's groups, the women's groups, the youth groups, you know, disciple groups. There's just, you got to figure out a group that's going to work for you, but you can't do it alone is the point. I mean, the Christian life, being an altogether Christian, it's a journey. And if you're going to make it, you have to rely on God's sustaining grace. Really accepting God's gift on the cross means the Holy Spirit is working in and through our lives. The means of grace are ways that God promises to work through us. Use them. They'll equip you to know and experience that real goal. And we're going to talk about that next week, but the, the life lived in total love of God and love of neighbor, worshiping God completely, fully with our heads, our hearts, and our hands. I want to ask you to join me in becoming a community that is striving to be all together Christian. That we covenant together to pursue the means of grace. And it starts in prayer. We, we began this week, last week, with a week of prayer. And uh, after worship last week, we stayed and we had a time of prayer. Like I said, Wednesday night, our Stephen leaders, uh, they, they led us in a time of prayer. And, and it was just an incredible gift. And after worship today, we're going to do something that we usually do quarterly and we haven't done for a while because of COVID. And I think because of COVID, we need it even more. But what we do is um, we'll, we'll have, you see there's these four stations. They didn't just forget to clean up the other day. These are here intentionally. And uh, we'll have on this side facing everyone. It'll be a pastor or a spiritual leader. And we'll have a time that people can come and just talk. It's not a counseling session. It's time to just share what's on our hearts. And then at one time, um, you know, when, when we've had a little bit of discussion, we'll invite a group of people to come down and, and lay hands and pray together for you. In this church, we believe in healing. It can take so many forms, physical healing, Emotional healing, spiritual healing, relational healing. Throughout the Gospels, a very consistent 
very consistent model of Jesus' ministry is healing. And I think at this point in 2021, we need healing. So what we're going to do at the end of worship, um, I, we're going to let everyone who would like, there's no, no pressure to stay whatsoever, um, go and I brought my intermission kit. It's a snack bar and an energy drink. But we're going to um, give you about 15 minutes, and then we'll, we'll just gather together at about a quarter after 11 and just engage in a time of prayer. And one of the things that I, I think can be very powerful, even if you aren't really called to come up, but to pray for others. We'll give you the opportunity to come down and, like I said, lay hands and, and pray for those. And those who are online, uh, as April said, if you want to send in your prayer concerns, sir, how can we pray for you? We want to be a real community, an authentic community, people who are striving to be altogether Christians, people who are worshiping God with our head, our heart, and our hands. And it's got to start in prayer. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your presence among us. I thank you for your Holy Spirit journeys in and through our lives. Help us, those who are being saved. As Paul says, help us to turn those dark spaces and places in our hearts one by one over to you. That the interior castle of our hearts, that you might open up the windows and even the darkest corners of our closets and cleanse them. That we might be holy and living disciples, fully alive because of your grace. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
and in about 15 minutes, uh, we'll start our prayer gathering. I'd like to end, and, and he's sneaking out right now, but Trevor is going to Honduras, and we're going to end with a prayer for Trevor after. It's, you don't, you know, you can do it afterwards, but after the prayer gathering. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have a prayer for him. But also, if, if you're going to go out, um, yeah, Honduras is such a huge part of our ministry, and, and Trevor's just a huge part of our team, and we ask you to just anonymously, so he doesn't know, that, that uh, we'll be praying for him. If you don't mind even saying something, I'd be really nice. It's uh, going to Honduras is an amazing gift, and uh, there's so much that we're doing, and we ask you to continue praying for our leadership for Eduardo down there. He's probably online with us right now as well. He's an amazing man. He had a birthday last week. Squirrel. How is God wanting to work in your heart? What does God want to do in and through your life? And what barrier, what brick wall is standing in the way? I'm going to ask you to offer that to Jesus, to turn back to God with the Holy Spirit take that thing and set you free in the name of the Father the Son the Holy Spirit you are a blessed and loved family of God Amen